Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the 2A Lifestyle. This is your host 2A Leo and I want to appreciate you listening to another episode of the 2A Lifestyle. On this episode we are going to have a sponsor. We're going to be talking about a new sponsor. His uh, company is Cold War Concealment Holsters. Uh, greatly appreciate him becoming a sponsor. And if you have a company out there that you feel like you want to get some uh, outreach out there, please reach out to us on social media or at 2alifestyle.mail.com. And we would love to talk to you about becoming a sponsor. Or if you have any products uh, that you want us to review, uh, that's how Cold War Concealment became a sponsor. Is that he initially, he was a listener, he sent us out some holsters to review. Uh, and then a few months later, he was looking to expand an advertisement and he wanted to become a sponsor on the podcast. So we have Cliff uh, from Cold War Concealment on talking to us about his company uh, and also just giving his point of view on some of the news stories that we have going on. But with that, let's go ahead and break out some of the house rules uh, go ahead and check us out on social media we have a Facebook on the number 2a lifestyle uh, and on Instagram 2 is spelled out TWOA lifestyle as well as TikTok. haven't put out any videos yet but we're gonna be putting out some videos here shortly we should have all of our stuff coming in for our videos so we're gonna be having TikTok videos putting out there as well as YouTube uh, so go ahead and check us out there if you want to support the 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 podcast the social media whatever it is go ahead and reach out to us on patreon under 2a lifestyle podcast podcast. Uh, I greatly appreciate everybody that uh, is contributing financially to the podcast, especially with what's going on economically in our country uh, and across the world. Uh, so if you do support the podcast, I would greatly appreciate you support the podcast. Uh, we're going to be setting up other venues for people to donate to the podcast if they don't want to do it monthly. Uh, we're going to be probably doing a PayPal and Venmo, uh, so that way we can go ahead and have different avenues if you wish to support the podcast without doing it monthly. Uh, but with that, let's go ahead and talk about... Hey, also, if you are listening to this podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. And if you can't leave us a review, it is the best way for people uh, to find us when they're searching for gun-related content uh, on podcast uh, applications. Uh, on iTunes, actually, we have eight five-star reviews, which is great. We only have two people that actually left us feedback, but if you want to leave us feedback, that's fucking amazing. Let people know what you what you like about the podcast, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but I appreciate you if you do as well. And with that, let's go ahead and start getting into the main part of the podcast and talk to Cliff from Cold War Concealment. start getting into our main segment of the podcast we have cliff from cold war concealment now cliff uh you are now a sponsor of the podcast first off i want to greatly appreciate you sponsoring the podcast uh you know you're not only sponsoring the podcast but also uh we're gonna be doing some social media stuff together sharing each other's posts collaborating all that kind of stuff uh so first off i want to greatly appreciate you sponsoring the podcast if there's anybody else out there that has a company cliff you you were just like a, a follower a listener weren't you that's correct yeah i mean so you just were, were 
were following along with the podcast and the social media. Uh, and then you actually uh, sent me some holsters to do a review on. Uh, I want to say that was maybe three, four months ago and did a review on it. Uh, and then you just decided to take the leap and become a sponsor. So if you have your own company that you want to uh, sponsor the podcast, or if you have a company that you're just starting up, uh, how long you been doing Cold War Concealment now? Been doing it full time for about two years now. Okay. So if you know you have something that you want to get out and you want the podcast to review, uh, feel free to reach out to me on social media or at 2alifestyle at mail.com. That's the number 2alifestyle at mail.com. Uh, and we'll go ahead and get something set up. Or if you, like I said, if you're interested in the sponsoring, we'll go ahead and reach out and I can give you the, uh, let's go ahead and start working on that. And Cliff, go ahead. First off, tell me a little bit about yourself and your company. Well, first of all, I've been, like I said, I've been doing the business uh, full time for about two years now. And it's one of those businesses that started off as a hobby and one thing led to another and now it's a full-time business. Um, mostly specializing in concealment holsters inside the waistband style. Uh, although we have done some outside the waistband, we've done some duty style, range style holsters here and there. Um, but the inside the waistband is is pretty much the market for me here in North Carolina because we do have a pretty good concealed carry program here in the state. All right. And actually, when you sent me some of the holsters uh, a few months back to review, uh, my, you know, my only one hitch in the giddy up was, was the uh, plastic clips. But since uh, you started coming on as a sponsor, uh, I went to your website and saw that you actually now are offering the metal clips as well, which I think is great. I think it's awesome. Anytime any company had, you know, takes any feedback and they go to, to um, improve their products. I really love that. And uh, you still, you see that a lot in the gun community more and than other communities that have to deal with other stuff, whether it be tech, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, so I really I like that you did that. And then also you have a dual layer uh, Kydex holster as well that looks pretty badass if I do say so myself. I really like, was it like the dark gray orange combo uh, that you have on your website? Yeah, that's a that's a new material. It's called Royalite HG and it's it's the same exact thickness as the Kydex. It's 0.08 and, um, but it is two separate layers. So it's got the, the nice color layer on the inside of it and then um, a black layer on the outside. Um, and it, it looks awesome. Um, I use personally a red and black one quite a bit and what I found after using it for quite a while is besides looking really cool, it's got kind of a, a little bit of a te- uh, benefit to it whereas when you are reholstering you can actually see inside your holster uh, so if um, you know a drawstring from your hoodie or your jacket or the end of your shirt or whatever is inside your holster which could be a hazardous condition obviously um, you're, you're going to be better able to, to visually check inside that holster before you reholster your weapon and that's something I noticed on yours because you sent me the P365 XL model and this uh, Smith & Wesson shield model holster inside the waistband uh, whenever I did the review a couple months back and uh, one thing I really liked about it is that your kydex was a little bit stiffer uh, that I didn't have to completely take out the kydex holster to reholster I didn't have a whole lot of squishing on it which is you know I've dabbled a little bit in kydex when it first came out uh, so I mean I know a little bit about kydex but I one thing that you know goes to show me is the for, uh, fit and finish in the form uh, when you're heating and cooling uh, on your I'm assuming you're using blue handles whenever you make these holsters uh, just the precision that you do on it because if you don't get that done right that's when you can and also the different thickness and kydex uh you know you can have that issue whenever you're doing inside the waistband holsters that you don't have uh enough of a rigid you know rigidness i guess you could say in Mm -hmm. regards to the form of the kydex holster staying open whenever it's inside your waistband uh which i really appreciate about your holsters as well well thank you uh we we started out uh using uh, blue guns to mold the holsters with um since then we've transitioned to where we're using CNC machine 
machine mold tooling that I get custom built for us. Um, and that really, and, and the holsters that you have show this, that really helps with the consistency from one holster to the next, um, as well as the, the fit. It gets that precise fit where it uh, gets that nice click in there. Um, and, you know, each holster, one is consistent from the next to the next to the next. So we can just kind of rock and roll. They are still handcrafted and have that, you know, that personal touch as far as that QC goes. Um, but I'm able to, to deliver a consistent product, which is important to me because, you know, I kind of, you know, I want them to all have kind of a similar look, kind of a theme going where they all kind of look to, look similar to one another. Um, and that allows us to do that. And something that's really interesting about your holsters that I really like is that they're decent holsters. You know, you can, uh, you know, get the plastic uh, clips if you want to, or you can do the metal clips. Um, and, but I mean, is the price, you know, I was, before you actually came on as a sponsor, uh, I was looking at changing up my everyday carry gun uh, because I'm getting into the red dot sights now. And I want to, you know, I only got a couple uh, guns that are already made to have a red dot sight on there. And actually one I'm planning on getting milled to have a red dot sight. So I was looking at changing up my Everyday, everyday everyday carry gun because the one that I have uh, just didn't have it and I was just kind of wanting to, to get into you know brand new into the red dot game so I'm trying to use what I, I have and what I know before I start investing in having all of my slides milled make sure I get a brand and model uh, red dot site that I like um, and I was looking at other holster companies rep, reputable holster companies and um, the, you know the, the expense you know you're I was looking at with everything that I was uh, wanting to put on it I was looking at close to a hundred for just one uh, outside the waistband and then close another close, you know, close to another hundred dollars for an inside the waistband holster. Uh, and your prices on your holsters is honestly not that bad. Uh, tell me about your prices on your different models of your holsters. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay competitive there. Uh, with, with the amount of work that goes into building one of these holsters, I can't really, I don't want to really race to the bottom, if you know what I mean. Um, because we do put some effort into finishing the edges and that takes some time. Um, some, some companies don't put that much effort into working the edges and getting them nice and smooth but we do so we're kind of price wise i'd say we're kind of in the middle ground um but when you talk about the red dots and stuff that's definitely an upcoming trend and that's that's picking up steam um right now everything we've got on the website is inside the waistband we are about to release an outside the waistband line and i'm also working on making as many as i possibly can and, and that will be compatible with uh red dots because they are definitely exploding in popularity and the, the prices are coming down on them uh, for, you know, still a quality unit. So we're going to see more and more people EDC and uh, guns with uh, with a red dot on it for sure. And we want to be ready for that. Absolutely. You know, five years ago when the popularity of the red dot started coming up, you saw them really only on your duty uh, full-size weapons. But like in the last year or two, and especially with the market, you know, reputable companies like Hollow Sun uh, and others are coming out with smaller micro red dots that'll fit on your concealable guns like the M&P Shield the SIG 365s, Glock 43s, whatever it may be, uh, you're starting to see a lot of those concealed carry guns, you know, the the compacts uh, coming with, you know, red dots on them. And that's, you know, obviously uh, a problem for not only the holster, you know, market, but just the after uh, the after parts market for all concealed carry handguns because firearms are constantly changing. You know, you used to have every gun had a, a red dot sight on it. You know, you had the, or the red dot laser and like the, 
Ruger LCPs that came, you know, came with them in the the trigger guards. Same yep. thing with the Sig uh, Smith and Wesson shields. Uh, but now you're starting to see that go away, and it's starting to go into red dots. Uh, Streamlight came out with their ultra compact. What was it the TLR7 or TLR8 uh, last year shot show? Uh, so you're starting to see a lot of uh, you know the light companies marketing towards those smaller everyday carry guns. Uh, actually, just curious while I'm thinking about it, what is what's your everyday carry? My everyday carry it goes back and forth between a Ruger LCR or a Glock 43. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, and but just kind of going back to the the red dots. So it seems like your company is um, is you know evolving with the changes. And then not only that, uh, because it's Kydex and uh, it's so easy, especially since you said you had your CNC machine uh, when you first came on to a sponsor. And and I told you you know this is a you know hell of a good time. And I was just looking at getting some Kydex holsters myself. Uh, and I was kind of telling you what I was wanting. You said yeah, that's no problem. It might take me a few weeks to you know to get everything set up to to make it. Uh, so if a customer has something, you know, real freaking squirrely, like I got a CZ75 that I milled for a, a loophole red dot sight and a, uh, you know, Olight with a threaded barrel and a comp or something, uh, you can say, well, you know, I might charge you a little bit more, but I can get her done and it's going to take me a while, especially with that CNC machine. Yeah, actually, I, I don't have the CNC machine. I've got a machinist that I hire to build my mold tooling. Um, so anything that I can do uh, will have to be based on molds that I've got. And I'm, and I'm always trying to expand. You know, I tell people that the molds are like uh, Pokemon. I'm trying to catch them all. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's it's tough to keep up with, especially the way, um, you know, gun manufacturers are throwing out new models left and right. Um, you know, who who even would have thought a couple years ago that Mossberg was coming out with a concealed carry type pistol? Uh, you know, so that's the market is just exploding with different models. Um, that's why I've kind of stuck to a, a core of brands that I support. And I'm, I am going to be expanding that here. Um, but... Uh, yeah, we do we do some custom stuff, some one-off stuff, and that stuff will work by a quote. Um, you know, people work, reach out to me, and it absolutely does take longer, and it does it, it is going to cost more. Um, and that's that's where I've done stuff like some basically duty style holsters with a retention hood and a drop leg and that kind of stuff. It's not my my main thing. So what I'll do is I'll talk with a customer and figure out exactly what they need. Uh, do they need the whole drop leg set up, or do they just need something set up with QLS forks so they can um, you know, click it into a rig they've already got set up, you know, and, and switch back and forth between maybe a different platform. Um, so we really get into the nitty gritty of different things like that. But it, it has to be based on something that I've got the, uh, the capability to, to build already. Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, again, QLS forks, that's something I'm, I, I fell in love with them a couple years ago yeah. when I really started getting into competition shooting, uh, integrated them all into my duty gear. Uh, I love QLS forks and I think that's amazing that, uh, uh, QLS forks is something that you can uh, integrate into Kydex just because uh, once you start looking into uh, Safari Land right now is currently what I use for all of my duty holsters. Uh, but when you're looking at concealed carry and stuff, I'm looking for something a little bit more slim profile uh, because being 6'5", uh, I can, you know, conceal a damn Glock 34 and have no problems with it. Uh, but, I, you know, obviously I needed a little bit something closer to the body. Uh, so that's one thing that I like about the QLS forks. Uh, and that's something you can do because uh, sure. that's something we talked about and you just mentioned uh, QLS forks. So if you're looking for something for duty grade or if you're looking for something for competition, uh, that's an option for y'all as well. Yep, absolutely. So what actually got you into guns? Uh, you said you've been doing this for, uh, you know, a couple years full time. How long part time? Uh, you know, grow, have you been growing up using, you know, being around guns or is that something that's later on in life? Well, pretty much grew up around them. Uh, I've got an older brother who would take me out shooting his 22 rifle and whatnot. Uh, and then I was in the, uh, in the military for about 20, a little over 20 years. So obviously, I've always been
looking around different handguns, long guns. Um, I first got my concealed carry permit probably 1994. Uh, so I've been concealed carrying since 94 and went through all the bad holsters, you know, the the, uh, the little nylon sock kind of deals and this <laughs> and that. And the ones with the Velcro all over them and this and that. And, uh, so I've had some terrible holsters and I, I know what a terrible holster is all about. And like you mentioned earlier, how they kind of will collapse on themselves and flop around. And um, so I, I know what not to do, I guess, because I've been there. Um, and then the way I got into actually making the holsters is I had uh, a little pocket gun that I bought for uh, carry to work and couldn't find a holster for it. Um, so there was a guy sort of local to me making holsters and he made one for me. And, and it was actually a fairly decent little Kydex holster. And then I went and um, put a laser on that same gun. Now we're, we're just talking about a little uh, Taurus 380. Nothing, nothing special here. So I put the laser on that thing and that laser uh, cost about as much as the gun did. <laughs> and then uh, went back to the same guy for a new holster. And the second holster he made me wasn't nearly as good as the first one. And, you know, he just... He just rushed through it and didn't do a great job. And I wound up with a product I wasn't real happy with. Um, and then I started looking around thinking, you know, maybe I could buy a sheet of this stuff and make one that I like. <laughs> and yeah, I bought a couple sheets of Kydex and ruined a couple sheets of Kydex and thought, you know, maybe one more piece, I'll get it right. And with a lot of trial and error, I finally got something I was pretty happy with. And then I thought, oh, maybe I'll make one for one of my friends. And then, it, you know, kind of went from there. I look back at, I've got some of the very first ones that I made. I keep them in the shop and uh, look at them every now and then kind of cringe because um, they're, they're nothing like what I'm making right now. Uh, you know, I always try to keep evolving the quality and, and making them better making them more usable um you know anything i can do to make them a little bit better make them a little more user friendly and that's how we came up with the steel clips um i haven't really had a lot of complaints or, or issues with the with the injection molded ones because uh, they're you know they're pretty good clips but the um what got me into the steel clips as much as anything else is women are concealed carrying these days like crazy uh they are you go to any concealed carry class around here anyway and there's a good amount of women in, in any class and what i learned is women hate wearing belts. I mean, they absolutely hate it. So this steel clip, although I don't, you know, I recommend you use a belt, obviously. But if you absolutely refuse to, um, you know, the steel clip will hold pretty good on a set of jeans even without a belt. So that's that's a good a good option for, for uh, people that aren't going to wear a belt, whether it's uh, a female with a pair of jeans or a guy with some basketball shorts or whatever. Uh, it still gives a pretty good, a good strong um, option to hold on to, the, to, to something without a belt. But of course, it works good with a belt, too. Absolutely. Uh, and that's it's great that you're looking into the market because I mean you are exactly right. Women have been and are still currently the the largest growing customer base in the firearms yep. community. Uh, and like with anything else, you see a lot of the companies. That's why Mossberg came out with their own concealed carry gun. Uh, you know, companies if they want to survive, they need to uh, adapt with the market, and that's exactly what's happening. Is yep. you know the market's going to uh, the smaller concealed carry guns like the shields 365s the 43s whatever it may be uh not only just for us uh that are you know tired you know especially smaller stature people the glock 19 is still a big gun um so they started going towards that and also because of women women are the you know huge growing customer base in regards to that sure uh what is your most popular model that you sell uh, i see you got several different inside the waistband holsters you said that you're about to come out with an outside the waistband uh holster but what is your most popular uh holster that you sell right now i would have to say the glock 
Glock 43s, the 43s and 43Xs are still um, super popular. The 365, and I do a lot of uh, a lot of Rugers, a lot of uh, EC9s uh, and LCPs. And part of that is because there's a Ruger factory about seven miles down the road from me here. Uh, so I know I know quite a few people that work there. So um, they've been good customers of mine as well. So locally, the Rugers are super popular for that reason, I think. Um, but those are probably the biggies right there. Oh wow! So you live? Uh, I got a, a friend who's uh, works at my sheriff's office. Who's uh, he's from up there? He went to Appalachian State, and, oh, okay. and uh, he's he's got some family that that uh, works at that Ruger place. So you're right around the corner from Absolutely, from where he's yeah. from. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, if there's anything, is there anything you got social media? Uh, what what's your social media on uh, Facebook, Instagram? Uh, it's Cold War Concealment. So it's Facebook.com slash Cold War Concealment, and uh, same on the Instagram. And what is your website? Cold War Concealment.com. And just curious, what uh, Cold War Concealment is that? Because uh, you know, where'd you, where'd you get the name from? Well, first of all, uh, I'm kind of a history nerd. I like history, and uh, it's a fascinating topic to me because I, I was in the you know I served during that time frame, and also I kind of had the thought of you know the Cold War kind of makes you think of uh, you know you're kind of getting prepared for something that could happen. Uh, so I I think you know if you're carrying a concealed weapon, you're preparing yourself for your own personal Cold War, and you know hopefully that war never goes hot. Hopefully you never have to uh, draw your firearm, uh, but if you do, you want to be ready. That's awesome. That's that's a he- the hell of a good name. Now that you explained it. Oh, cool. Thank you. Uh, Alex, that's that's yeah, that's awesome. Uh, all right, so let's go ahead and start getting into the 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 gun news and what's going around in the farms community. This is something that just broke uh, during this interview, actually, uh, and this is pretty shitty for the gun community, uh, but the Supreme Court has ruled that the uh, New York State Pistol Rifle Association versus New York City uh, case is moot. Uh, that is something that the New York City has been trying to say ever since it got to the Supreme Court. They were rescinded their farms, uh, gun control laws, trying to moot the case, and the Supreme Court has said, uh, no, we're still going to hear the, the basis of the case, uh, but the Supreme Court has now just ruled that the uh, the New York State Pistol and Rifle Association case against New York City is moot, which is a big uh, it's a big setback for the gun community because that could have been some major precedent for other gun control uh, you know nut areas uh, like California, Chicago, New Orleans, whatever it may be, uh, and that's that just sucks. It's real shitty. I hate that uh, in regards to that. So you got any? Is that something you've been keeping up? Do you keep up with uh, you know firearms laws and in, in regards to what? What's going on, and especially our freedoms, because uh, you know our biggest listener base is Texas, but right behind it is California, uh, and actually New York is in the top five for us as well uh, in regards to you know states in the U.S. that listen to us on this podcast. Uh, and it's really gone up since the coronavirus, uh, you know, the the kung flu hit America, and uh, you know California is a great gun loving community, and they just unfortunately have shitty politicians that don't listen yeah. to the majority of the state. Uh, they listen into like the you know San, San Francisco, the Los Angeles metropolitan areas, but they don't really give a shit about the rest of the state, which the rest of the state and even in those areas as well, especially Los Angeles has a really uh, big gun community as well uh, on the outskirts of it, uh, just because, you know, self-defense is a human right, firearms ownership is human right uh, and I just feel sorry for, for that kind of stuff. Uh, is that something you keep up with, Cliff? Yeah, I try to. I actually uh, I grew up in New York State, up near uh, the Syracuse area, so way upstate um, I left there when I was 19, when I joined in the Air Force, and uh, you know, New York—it's almost like two separate states. You know, when you when you separate the the downstate, the New York City area from the rest of the state, uh, it, it's kind of like California. Uh, you know, it's like two different worlds, like you like you mentioned about California. Uh, where I am now in North Carolina, I'm about eight miles away from the border with Virginia, and you know, there's been a Virginia has just gone cr- 
crazy with gun control here lately with uh, with their their governor Northam here. And I'm, I'm keeping an eye on that because uh, you know I'm not sure what's going to go on here in, in North Carolina. Uh, we've got some pretty good freedoms here in North Carolina as far as our uh, firearms laws go and whatnot. Um, but like what we just saw in Virginia, you know, if you're not vigilant, that can change real quick. Absolutely, and uh, that's something we're going to be talking about later on. Let's go on and get into our next story as well. The next story comes to us from Guns.com, and it was released on the 24th of April, and it states that the judge drop kicks California bullet control scheme. Uh, and when there is a follow-up to this story, uh, but a U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez, who is responsible for California's Freedom Week that they had, released a 120-page order in a case brought by Olympic gold medalist uh, Clay Shooter Kim Road against the California Attorney General. And basically, this uh, got rid of California's uh, gun control laws in regards to ammunition, saying you got to have a background check every time you go uh, to the gun store. You can no longer order ammunition online. And there was numerous emails I was getting this uh, past week in regards to gun uh, gun stores online saying that they can now ship ammunition to California, uh, which was good for Californians. Unfortunately, it was on, on, during a shitty time during this coronavirus when there wasn't a whole lot of ammunition available. Uh, ammunition makers are you know working around the clock to try and make sure we don't have another 2012 incident, uh, even though that's what it's kind of looking like if you go to your local gun store. Uh, yeah. But then the next story comes to us also from guns.com. And on this was actually uh, published today, but this happened yesterday. An appeals court reinstates the California bullet control scheme. Uh, and unfortunately, an appellate court, uh, the, the California Attorney General, uh, appealed uh, Roger Benitez, uh, Judge Robert, Roger Benitez, his decision, and they reinstated the California ammunition background checks uh, and stopping further online gun sales. Uh, you know, like I said, unfortunately, it wasn't a week like the magazine ban, uh, magazine ban that was lifted. Um, and unfortunately, it was during a shitty time for Californians because uh, there wasn't a whole lot of ammunition online for them to buy. Uh, but it just goes to show that there was some light in regards to this in California. And it goes to show that things can happen legally. I know the FPC and the gun owners of America are going to be jumping on this, especially since they got a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel whenever they see uh, you know, a U.S. district judge rule in their favor. Uh, and especially California, there's a lot of Olympic gold medalists that sh- that are out that live out there. Uh, you know, Kim Rhodes, who was the actually the first American to win a gold medal in the 2016 Olympics. Uh, that's something that the ma- mainstream media did not report on, but she was the first American to win a gun, uh, win a gold medal during the Olympics. Um, so that's something that I'm going to keep on looking forward to, uh, keep an eye out on, and hopefully that will uh, repeal some of the gun control that's going on there. Yeah, we can o- we can only hope and and people call their representatives, call their you know all their officials, and just let them know. Say hey, we're tired of this. Absolutely. And in the next story comes to us from Ameland. Uh, this is published on the 24th, and the title of it is Trump Administration to Abolish One of America's Biggest Gun-Free Zones. Uh, and this comes to us uh, also from, it comes to us from the Trump administration and the Army Corps engineers. And basically what it is, is the Army Corps engineers is going to allow uh, position of firearms and water resource development projects. This is mainly geared towards hunters. Uh, but hunting is a large part of the gun community. It's something that I feel that modern gun control act, or modern gun rights activists really don't pay attention to. They only care about uh, quote-unquote assault rifles bans, magazine bans, things like that. Uh, but that is a great way for people to get into the gun community. Uh, you know, being a kid, my dad taking me hunting, that's where I got my first gun. That's how I shot my first gun was going hunting. Uh, and even though hunting is on the decline, which is sad uh, because that is how America preserves a lot of its natural resources through the purchase of uh, hunting licenses and actually even ammunition and guns. There's a tax on each ammunition and gun that goes towards conservation. Uh, that's something that we need to um, support. Uh, but it, since they open this up, hopefully that will open the doors up for more hunting. Yeah, I 
hope so. Uh, what about you? Do you do a lot of hunting, Cliff? No, I sure don't. I just, uh, I haven't for years, and it's just, uh, you know, time and logistics kind of thing more than anything else. Oh, I understand. I fucking hate the cold, even though I live in uh, lower Alabama, uh, where if somebody has a, a snow shovel, they think it's like a, you know, a farming shovel, uh, you know, big old hay fork almost, uh, just without the points. Uh, I can't stand the cold, and that's why I don't do a whole lot of deer hunting, because I just hate waking up early, and I hate yep. the cold, and I thank the Army for that, because I fucking woke up uh, with frost all over my, my bivy and damn uh, the water line in my camelback frozen and not be able to drink any water. I just fucking told myself after that that I wasn't going to be cold unless I wanted to and I haven't been. Yeah, there you go. Well, the next story also comes to us from Amelan and this is also in regards to Virginia. A uh, state judge is going to hear the case against the Virginia shutdown of indoor ranges. Uh, the Farms Policy Coalition has been just fucking animals in regards to going to all these states that have shut down gun stores, uh, have shut down concealed carry permit offices uh, and have shut down indoor ranges uh, in regards to this coronavirus scare that we have going on, this pandemic. And the gun control politicians are using this coronavirus scare as a reason to infringe on our civil rights, in which the Second Amendment is a civil right. Uh, So Governor uh, Ralph Northam, of course, uh, has tried to circumvent the state court system by attempting to move a case brought by Safeside Tactical Shooting Range of Lynchburg, Virginia, the Virginia Citizens Defense League, and the Gun Owners of America uh, in regards to uh, shutting down indoor ranges brought about by COVID-19. Safeside Tactical, uh, obviously, uh, as well as other business all around the country, has been hit hard in reference to the government shutdowns. Uh, but these two organizations are, have filed a civil uh, a suit in regards to the, the Virginia uh, government shutting down indoor ranges, and a state judge is stating that they will hear the case. Hopefully, uh, in regards to that, this will be a precedent. Uh, even though the gun control politicians in Virginia is a fairly relatively new thing. Um, the judges uh, that are elected in Virginia, just like everyone else judges are elected, uh, they are still hopefully on the conservative side. They are more on the gun control, uh, you know, against gun control side. They are for gun rights. So hopefully this will bring out a precedent that can be used around the country or at least a legal strategy for uh, like the GOA and the FPC. And whenever they argue these cases, because, uh, you know, whenever these judges come out with their rulings, they give uh, reasons why they've done so. Uh, So hopefully this will give them more of a legal strategy on what they can do when going to other states like California, uh, Illinois, New York, whatever it may be, in regards to them shutting down the gun stores and the indoor ranges. Uh, Do you have any problems like that in your area in in North Carolina? No, we don't. In fact, uh, the uh, gun stores are considered an essential business here. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's crazy. There is, my local academy, there's two separate lines. There's a gun sales line, and then there's everything else line. Uh, And obviously, Academy is staying open because they sell guns there. Uh, Dick's, on the other hand, is being is being kept shut down because they don't sell guns anymore. Uh, Karma's a bitch, and it's pronounced, ha-ha, fuck you. Uh, But uh, it's, you know, you're starting to see a lot of the gun stores, uh, I mean, just being flooded. Not only because of guns, but because people are just wanting to get outside and do shit. So you see a lot of people buying water sports stuff, uh, you know, basketballs, footballs, baseball stuff, whatever they can do to just kind of play in their yard or play in a park, whatever they can do. Uh, so it's nice to see that Virginia might be getting a silver lining in regards to their gun control. Uh, but unfortunately, this takes us to our next story, which comes to us from CNN. Uh, and unfortunately, this was published on the 23rd in the head title. The title of the article states Virginia passes final remaining bills of Northam's gun control package. Uh, and this is something you were just talking about. And this is something you said that you've kept up. Uh, what do you, what are your know and what are your thoughts on this? Well, basically, you know, the 
the thing the thing that really gets me about it is you think about California or New York or some of the other uh, northeastern states have been uh, very anti-gun for years and they've they've gotten that way very slowly and very incrementally just a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here and a little bit there and then all of a sudden they're very very restrictive uh, the thing about Virginia that really should be getting everybody's attention in the in the 2a community is that it happened overnight it's like I mean Virginia was a, a good state for uh, for freedom for uh, Second Amendment rights and just seemingly overnight they flipped a switch and now it's you know California East absolutely and something that uh, one of the gun control measures that's passed was um, a bill that requires the report of loss or, fi- or theft of a firearm within 48 hours or that person can face a $250 fine uh, and uh, also one that raised the punishment for leaving a loaded or unsecured firearm that endangers anyone under the age of 14. Uh, so if you are single and you have your nieces and nephews uh, come over, uh, you know, you're single, you're not used to having that, you know, whatever you could just leave your EDC with your pocket dump whenever you come home next to your wallet and keys and cell phone or whatever. Uh, if, you know, somebody decides to report you, you can have a $250 fine uh, pushed against you. Yeah. Uh, and that's crazy because just actually just recently, and I, you know, this is something I harp against uh, is using your car as a holster. Uh, we had a woman that uh, had a uh, firearm stolen. Uh, no, no telling when it was stolen, uh, but it was found at the scene of officer-involved shooting uh, locally here. And when we go reach out to the woman to say, hey, because uh, we couldn't find where she had reported it stolen. Hey, do you know where this gun is? Yeah, it should be in my gun safe. And she went to her gun safe and sure as hell it wasn't there. Uh, so at that point in time, she's like, hey, can I do a report for this firearms being stolen? Uh, it was, you know, three or four months at least uh, when it was stolen. And she has no idea where it was stolen. Um, so that woman under this new law would have been charged with $250 fine. Uh, and that's just, I definitely advocate po- you know, personal responsibility. Uh, yeah. But it's also one of those things that it's just big government uh, just putting their you know their their eye on everything and every aspect that they can in regards to uh, what they're going you know what people do and that's just something I just don't advocate for yeah absolutely I mean it, I, I feel ahead. like with this coronavirus it seems like a whole lot of uh, politicians of you know from mayors to governors all the way up to the top uh, are are using this as a excuse to justify a lot of overreach absolutely and you can never uh, dis- you know politicians never disappoint in regards to to uh, using a tragedy to waste. And we see that with every mass killing where a farm is used, you see all the gun control politicians come out of the woodworks and and want to release some sort of statement saying this could have been solved with more gun control. And that's something that we're going to talk about later as well in some of these stories. Um, And it's just, it's just slimy. Uh, You know, that's why most politicians are lawyers, I say, because lawyers have no souls. And (laughs) whenever I deal with a lawyer, uh, I just can definitely tell that you just kind of have have loose morals, at least in my sensibility, in regards to what you can and what you do and don't do in regards to tragedies. Uh, and that's, you know, if you're a lawyer out there listening, I'm sorry. Uh, even my own brother's a lawyer, but when he just got accepted into law school, I said, are you, re- are you prepared to sell your soul? Because uh, so, I personally think that's what happens. Yeah. Uh, but this next uh, article comes to us from Animal Land, uh, and it was published on the 23rd, and it basically says, what happened to Mr. Gun and Gear Guns and Gears Facebook page? Uh, now, this is something that I, you know, all the content 
content creators that I talk to, it's a constant struggle for us. Shadow bans, uh, strikes in regards to uh, community violations. Uh, I shared a meme back when Storm Area 51 was a thing, and it was clearly a meme. It was a, a meme with a fake uh, Facebook, with a fake news art title on it, uh, but it showed Don Corleone in the back saying they massacred my boy. And I got uh, community strikes against uh, Facebook guidelines for that, uh, saying it was fake news. Uh, and obviously, they do everything they can. They they unpublish major gun manufacturers' pages without any sort of notice, uh, any sort of reasons why they did it. The page might not have even had any kind of community guideline strikes against them. Uh, and that seems to be what has happened in reference to Mr. Guns and Gear. Mr. Guns and Gear is uh, a humongous content creator. He's very well known in the gun community, and uh, his Facebook page is poof gone like that. And yep. it's you know it's hard to um, get followers for different social media uh, gatherings. Uh, like my Facebook page, I have around 13,000 13, uh, likes, and you know well over 13,000, closer to 14,000 followers. Uh, and and but for some reason, you know on Instagram, I only have like. 600 followers. Uh, so, you know, if you uh, are used to like one strategy or one game that, you know, works on one social media platform, but doesn't work on the other. Uh, if you just get rid of one social media platform, you know, you're obviously limiting your reach. And a lot of these people, um, and this is something that I've talked about to other content creators, is that, you know, I don't do uh, the podcast and the social media full time. I have a regular full time job working on law enforcement. Um, but there's a lot of people that this is their full time job. Uh, Iraq veteran 88, Eric and Chad. Uh, uh, Sean Heron of Firearms Radio Network, uh, John Patton and the Gun Collective, Mr. Guns and Gear. This is stuff they do full time. And whenever you uh, do this, uh, military uh, military arms channel, whenever you take away a social media platform from it, whether it be Facebook, YouTube, whatever it may be, uh, you're taking away money from them. And uh, that's garbage on the social media platforms part because you still allow uh, you know crazy shit that would all is really a uh, strike against the farms community or the not the farms community but the Facebook or social media, you know, community guidelines. Uh, you know, in my job, I, you know, social media investigation is, is a humongous part of it. You, you'd be surprised what dumb shit people put on the internet. And uh, I see shit all the time, basically like uh, porn on Facebook and, and stuff like that. Well, that's a clear strike against community guidelines. Uh, but, you know, obviously they don't, don't care about that. They go for what they, and, and social media companies are obviously biased. They are heavily for gun control. They have not let it be, they're not shy to let it be known that they are for gun control. And this is just another example of them using their political bias to uh, try and limit, you know, the gun community. Uh, what do you think? Have you had, you know, on your social media, have you had any of these problems? Uh, have you, uh, you know, known anybody that has had a social media page, uh, you know, deplatformed or shadow banned or whatever it may be in regards to uh, their community guidelines? Sure. There, there have definitely been some that have been, uh, you know, shadow banned or whatever. And for me personally, I have tried to publish some ads I'm, I'm, I'm paying these companies money to publish some ads and they'll come back and say, oh, no, you can't uh, you can't run an ad for a holster because it's a gun. And there is an appeal process and you go through the appeal process and you explain to them, I'm not selling a gun. I'm not an FFL. I'm selling a holster, which is simply a piece of plastic. And eh, they might approve it, but probably not. Uh, so it, it's it's been frustrating to try to get the name of the business out there uh, with with that going on. So I've decided to, you know, work around them and find other ways and stop giving giving them money. Absolutely. And you're talking about uh, having ads denied. Uh, I've had, you know, podcasts uh, I've tried to bump in their advertisement and they've uh, denied it for nudity in pictures. And it was just my logo, which is the awesome face. 
And yeah, I it, mean, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, and and you know it's 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 their rules, I guess, and they can change them as they want to. That's, Absolutely that's frustrating. That's what's really frustrating about it. Absolutely. Next story we're going into is comes to us also from Emmeland, and this title of it states that the FBI request an indefinite stay in the Gun Owners of America's FOIA request, which is the Freedom of Information Act case, due to COVID nineteen. And this published to us on the twenty second. Um, something that people may not realize is that you can. Read Reach out to the to the FBI and state that I voluntarily want to be a prohibited person. Which in that point in time, once you submit that paperwork, uh, you will no longer be allowed to purchase a firearm ever. They the FBI gives no steps in regards to getting yourself off of that list. Uh, all from now on, you are just not allowed to purchase or to possess a firearm for the rest of your life. And what the Gun Owners of America has done is they had a FOIA request in regards to the FBI asking them how many people have done a voluntary prohibited person submission form within the NICS check, which is the National Instant Check System. Uh, everything that, you know, the thing that anytime you purchase a firearm and you fill out a 4473, the FFL checks with the NICS uh, to see if you are allowed to actually possess or purchase a firearm. Um, and of course, the FBI is use, uh, using the coronavirus as an excuse as to not uh, release that information. Uh, lawyers for the FBI requested to stay in the case for an unlimited amount of time. Uh, the FBI states that the coronavirus forced the FBI record information disseminate system uh, to shut down. Uh, in the status update, the FBI states that because of the pandemic, employees can no, not report to work. It also states that employees of the FBI uh, re- record information disseminate so- section cannot work from home to process FOIA requests. Um, the fact that they ask for an indefinite amount of time, I say, is the problem in regards to this. If you are, if you have furloughed your employees uh, in regards to FOIA requests, I can understand because you know the government is doing some pretty wacky things in regards to not allowing people come to work. Uh, but just to flat out deny and say, eh, I don't know when the fuck this is gonna, you know, I, I don't know when I'm gonna decide to do this. Uh, that's pretty, you know, fucked up in my opinion. I think they should have. The FBI should have said, if you give us 30 days, allow us to reassess after this coronavirus, uh, we will go back and talk about, uh, you know, going and fulfilling your FOIA request. But instead, they just ask for an indefinite amount of time. And that is just unacceptable, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. The coronavirus is a convenient excuse for a lot of things, isn't it? Oh, it's insane. Uh, And there's been articles that I've read, uh, you know, internationally through like BBC, uh, Al Jazeera, uh, which is actually a decent news organization in regards to uh, just normal stuff coming out of the Middle East, not necessarily about terrorism or U.S. troop involvement in the Middle East, but just normal stuff going around the Middle East. Uh, but, you know, it, every news organization is reporting that uh, dictators and totalitarian regimes are using this coronavirus as an excuse to trample down Indian dissent. We see that now, especially in China. Uh, have you heard anything about the Hong Kong protest anymore since the coronavirus spread? Yeah, that just disappeared real quick, didn't it? Absolutely. And no telling how many people are now the, the new tank man at Tiananmen Square uh, rotting away in jails because they violated new government mandates saying that people aren't allowed to be out past curfew or they're allowed to not, you know, be with that in six feet of other people. Uh, there's no telling in regards to that. Yeah, we'll probably never know the truth about that. Absolutely. Uh, this next story also comes to us from MLN and this was published on the 21st and its title is The Timing Has Never Been Better for 2A Gaming. Now this is something that I'm very interested in because 
uh, I'm technically a millennial, uh, 32 years old, uh, so I'm a little bit on the older side of millennials. Uh, but now you're starting to have some Gen Zs coming out into the the gun community, uh, and I think that if you talk to a lot of younger people, especially my kids, uh, you know, I got a son that's uh, around nine years old, and if you talk to him anything about guns, anytime he talks about guns, it's in reference to a game, uh, whether it be Fortnite, Apex, Call of Duty, whatever it may be. Uh, and I think that is a great way for us to reach out to new shooters uh, and to educate newer and younger people uh, about firearms and try and bring them into the fold of the gun community. I've been talking several times on the podcast about with this coronavirus panic buying of firearms, even if we can just keep one or five percent uh, of people that purchase new firearms and bring them into the fold of the gun community, you have five percent of shooters that never existed before. You have five percent of people that might have been anti-gun or they might have been on the fence or might have not have been active in regards to our Second Amendment rights. Uh, and this is something that I think we should, uh, ex- you know, exploit. If you look at the culture war happening with the gun community, uh, it's something that's starting to turn. Uh, now, if the NRA, I personally believe, is not the front runner of Second Amendment advocacy groups uh, because, you know, Wayne LaPierre was such a polarizing figure during the Obama administration. Um, and But you really have to win the culture war. And something I always talk to uh, with other people about is look at the LGBT community. Um, it's something insane that 20 years ago, uh, you know, that was a taboo thing and people weren't allowed to express their sexuality freely and say, I'm a gay person or I'm a lesbian or whatever it may be. And now uh, gay marriage is legalized across the country. Hell, personally, uh, you know, if you remember the old the old Power Rangers, uh, one of the Power Rangers was forced off the show because he was an open homosexual and he was belittled and bullied so much on set that he had a m- mental breakdown. And that was in Hollywood. Uh, you know, they're supposed to be the progressive community. So 20 years ago, you know, they have obviously have won the culture war. That's something I think we as the gun community need to do. And this is something that uh, Rainier Arms is doing. Uh, Rainier Arms is sponsoring a group called 2A Gaming. And if during the coronavirus quarantines, uh, you have things such as Twitch and other game streaming services have gone up in viewership by almost 2 million views. Uh, So you have Rainier Arms starting their own gaming group called 2A Gaming. And they have social media and Facebook uh, and Twitch as well under 2A Gaming and also a website under 2A Gaming. Uh, And it's something that they're trying to uh, bring about normalcy for firearms in the younger community through gaming. And I think this is an amazing thing, uh, something that I mentioned in the culture segment uh, episode or two back. We actually did the guns of uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the new game that's come out. And this is something that I think that we need to use for our culture war. Uh, And, you, you know, Cliff, you're a little bit on the older side. I'm, do you play any games? No, I really don't. Yeah, and it's something that uh, since I've had kids I, and, you know, other stuff that have come out and just in adult life, I had not in a whole lot of time. But, hell, there's still a lot of people I know my age that do a lot of gaming. Uh, and oh, that's absolutely. Some, yeah, yeah, and I, that's, know people, I know people older than me that spend a lot of time gaming. Uh, I mean, it's definitely not just for young people, that's for sure. Absolutely. And I think this is something that I think the NRAs dropped the ball on uh, back when they were a force. Uh, the FPC and the GOA, uh, if they want to be the next big Second Amendment advocacy group uh, in regards to kind of replace the NRA. I think this is something that they need to do in regards to uh, attracting the younger crowd. And that's something that, you know, like I said, Rainier Arms, um, I can't fucking say that word for some reason, but Rainier Arms, uh, they are sponsoring that. And I think that's amazing. That's something I've told other people uh, when I've said about bringing new shooters into the gun community is we need to reach out to the gaming community because that is the largest growing, uh, especially on YouTube. Uh, most most YouTube, I, I can't 
can't remember the name, uh, you know, the percentage of it, uh, but it was a large percentage of YouTube videos out there. It has to do with gaming. Yeah. And I don't have cable. My kids, all they do is watch YouTube. You know, I have like Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and all the other streaming services, but all they freaking do is watch YouTube. And my son, that's all he watches whenever he's not playing games. He's watching other people play these games. And that's something uh, that is a huge market out there. And I think that's something that the gun community needs to take advantage of. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great way to, to uh, reach out and, and uh, talk to people too, you know, to start the conversation. Absolutely. Uh, next article comes to us from the Truth About Guns. Uh, and this was published on the 25th. Jackson, Mississippi mayor suspends open carry during COVID-19 emergency. And this is just, you know, I'm not going to go too deep into this. Uh, there is a state preemption law, uh, which is why mayor, uh, his name is Lumumba. That's a funky name. I cannot do something like this normally. Uh, but while they're during, you know, the pandemic and state of emergencies, uh, they do allow for some municipal restrictions, uh, even though it does not permit the cancellation of openly carry of lawfully possessed firearms. Um, but this is just something we talked about. And this is just more of an example uh, in regards to this is just uh, politicians not letting a tragedy go to waste. Yeah, that's all it is. And talking about going further into not letting a tragedy go to waste and also how gun control is just ineffective, uh, period. Uh, Canada, this next article comes to us from The Truth About Guns. It was published on the 20, 21st. Uh, there was a mass killing in Canada uh, this past week. Uh, the death toll uh, is 22 victims plus the shooter. Uh, it's been, you know, is occurred in Nova Scotia. Uh, the Royal Canadian, Canadian Mounted Police has come out and stated that the shooter was not lawfully allowed to carry this firearm that he used uh, in the mass killing. And shocker, gun control didn't work. He still killed the people. Uh, but you have the Canadian politicians already coming out and saying this fucking Justin Trudeau, he stated that he was going to pass more gun control that could have stopped this tragedy. But his response to the coronavirus has not allowed him to push through uh, the Canadian Parliament uh, to have more gun control that could have stopped this shooting. So he's already, you know, touting out saying that, you know, we can pass more gun control. This could have stopped this, obviously, which, you know, the gun control they already have did not stop this tragedy. Uh, and it's just, you know, more gun control politicians using uh, a, a tragedy like this to, um, to to further expand the gun control in their area when obviously it doesn't work. Uh, and there's been some uh, great article or some great commentary from the Firearms Radio Network. Uh, uh, I'm a huge fan also of them. Uh, and that's something else like I was trying to say earlier is that I'm you know a huge fan of, of other content creators. And I think we should all work together to try and make sure that the gun community grows as exponentially as it can. Uh, but that, you know, there are certain uh, Oakland, California was the example they use. There's a new uh, social program initiative that has shown that gun control literally does not work. And that's coming from California. Uh, but as we can see in Canada with the tragic loss of these lives, gun control does not work there, even though they want to pass more gun control because they think it will work. Just and what the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing, expecting different results. And that is what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I think it's becoming more and more obvious to, to more people that uh, gun control isn't about gun it's about control. Absolutely. And with that, this new uh, article uh, from USA Today comes out. And it's pretty pretty interesting, I think, because uh, obviously when there are more guns in the general public's hands, uh, the safer the general public is. And that's what we always say. And that's why people are panic buying. It's because they're seeing that all it takes is something little to disrupt our easily perfect society uh, to where all of a sudden they're freaking out and realize that law enforcement in certain jurisdictions aren't responding to to every call. They flat out said, we're not responding to these calls unless somebody's in danger. Uh, but it normally takes, you know, in my old police department, it took less than five minutes. It was the average response time. But for some counties, uh, jurisdictions, sheriff's offices, 
could be up to 30 minutes. And if you have somebody pounding on your door, baseball bat, knife, gun, whatever it may be, uh, you can't wait that long for them to come stop the bad guy before he kicks in your door. Uh, so this article from USA Today uh, was published on the 20th, and it's a fact check. Uh, USA decided to do a fact check. Gun sale rise and crime sale or crimes fall as coronavirus spreads in the U.S. Uh, and this is interesting because it mentions that there were 3.7 million NICS checks last month in the month of March. Uh, and March violent crime has dropped to a low. And flat out, they said, this is correct. According to all of our research, this is correct. But of course, they try to throw on a little caveat there saying that we don't know if this is a correlation of the two. Uh, but obviously, you know, causation equals correlate correlation in my mind. Uh, if you have a firearm and people know that there are firearms in that community, there's less a chance somebody's going to kick in the door, especially with everybody's at their house, uh, not allowed to travel as freely as they want to. Uh, you're going to have criminals think, well, is that TV in that house worth my life? Uh, you know, it's not. And yeah. I think that's something I think it's pretty interesting that a mainstream media source like the USA Today has come out and said that. Yeah, that's pretty bold for them to, to say that, considering they're, like you said, pretty mainstream and, and to the left. Um, you know, with all the all the new people buying firearms now, um, I really hope that in a few months when things settle down, I hope that all those guns aren't getting sold back to the gun stores or pawn shops or whatever. I, I hope that these people actually, um, you know, become interested in the Second Amendment lifestyle and, and trying to uh, learn more and become more proficient, become more trained and, uh, you know, grow the, grow the population of law-abiding gun owners in, in the United States. You know, as opposed to just being kind of a flash in the pan kind of thing. Absolutely. And, you know, we're going to expect, we got to expect that some of those people are going to sell their guns back because, you know, either A, they need Christmas money coming around. Uh, the coronavirus is, is slowed down. It's, you know, not as big scary as they thought it was going to be. And they need Christmas money, so they're going to sell their guns. Uh, there's going to be some of those people that keep the guns and they're just going to keep it in their gun safe just in case. Uh, and then there's going to be some people that are going to, going to go to the range. They're going to see how fun it is to shoot and to be involved in the gun community. And they're going going to become Second Amendment advocates. Uh, and like I said, even if it's just one, two, three, four, five percent of those people, uh, of the first time gun buyers that become the Second Amendment advocates, uh, you're going to have those people that are Second Amendment advocates, especially in states uh, like maybe the Midwest, uh, East Coast, West Coast, whatever it may be, that are more voters that are going to not want to elect politicians. Uh, you know, they're actually going to start looking at politicians' stance on gun rights instead of just saying, uh, you know, well, he's a Democrat and I'm a Democrat, so I'm automatically going to vote for him. Maybe he start looking at their policies and their their uh, agenda if they become elected a little bit more uh, this time. So that's still, I think, a great win on the gun community. I'd like it to be more than 5%. That's why I've asked everybody on, on my show, everybody I talked to said, you know, if you know a first-time gun buyer, take that person out to the range. Teach them the firearms, fundament, you know, the, the fundamental firearm safety rules, uh, and just let them, you know, shoot a box of rounds. And, uh, you know, I guarantee you, once people... Because even if you look at the mainstream media and they have these um, gun control advocates that uh, are working in journalism, they go to range and they shoot for the first time. They've never shot before in their life. They're going to say, wow, this is a lot funner than what I thought it would be. I can see why people consider this fun. Uh, and you can open a whole new set of ideas that they would never would have had if they never would have gone to the range and shot before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Cliff, that's going to get to the end of our main segment here. And with that, let's go ahead and mention our sponsor, which is going to be Cold War concealment uh let's go ahead and talk about again real quick where they can find you on social media uh and basically what your company is and what what you do well we're uh, based here in north carolina we use all american-made materials 
and build our holsters right here in the States, obviously. Uh, and you can track us down either at coldwarconcealment.com or on Facebook slash Cold War Concealment. And we can, we've got an Instagram page where we try to throw up some pictures on there at uh, uh, Cold War Concealment. That's where you post all the Gucci guns in, inside your holsters to make them look sexier? <laughs> yeah, we try. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, now, let me just on something like that. So you do uh, custom orders as well, like I said earlier? Yeah, if somebody wants something that's not on the website, they're going to have to reach out to us and uh, we'll, we'll discuss whether it's uh, something we can handle or not. Um, one thing I have been doing a lot of lately are different custom patterns, custom prints. Uh, so if somebody wants something with unicorns on it or something, yeah, we can do that. You know, you, you're just going to have to reach out to us and uh, you know, it's going to take a little longer, cost a little bit more. But uh, if, you, if you're looking for something unique like that, we can make it happen. We just say, uh, you know, as long as it's not going to get any copyright lawyers involved, uh, we can we can pretty much make that happen too. That's amazing. And that's going to be Cold War Concealment. Check them out on Facebook, check them out on Instagram, and check them out on their website. And I'm assuming uh, your social media has links to your website? Yeah, it sure does. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. And with that, let's go on and get into our next segment, which is going to be the Gun Gear News and Review. I need to sober up. Double cup, it got me stuck. I think I'm losing it. Every time that I've been getting stuck, stuck. a line inside my head. My friends that they've been dead since I made it out. It's every time that you cross my mind. Remember the times, but I know that you won't ever change. I'm not sober enough, sick and tired of love. If you draw that line, babe, I hope you know I'm crossing it. I've been losing my mind, trying to figure it out. Uh, Cliff, before we get started, is there any kind of new guns, uh, gear, anything like that that you've gotten that you uh, are, you know got a good idea on now that you want to let us know what you think about in your review? Well, uh, I finally got my broke down and got uh, a Sig P320, and I got to tell you, I love that thing. Um, we've got a couple more variants, uh, holster variants coming out for that here shortly. I'll have the capability to uh, build a holster for that with the um, TLR1 uh, coming soon. Um, I don't have the the mold tooling in my hand yet, but that's on the way. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, we are branching out into outside the waistband holsters. Uh, I've got to get some good photography and get those up on the website, but that's coming here in the next couple of days. That's awesome. Uh, so what model 320 did you get? I got the compact. You didn't get like Legion X5, whatever, anything crazy, just the regular no, 320? No, it was, it, honestly, it was an impulse buy. I was at uh, one of my local shops here and uh, I looked at it and I was like, mm, let me take a look at that thing. <laughs> and I wound up walking out the door with it. Oh, it's it's scary uh one of the uh i'm not gonna say who he was or what he was but i had somebody talk to me yesterday saying that they found a uh, sig 320 three clips so that already tells you what kind of firearms knowledge this person has with three clips for 450 dollars and it was 11 millimeter and i asked him i said are, uh, 11 millimeter are you sure you weren't looking at a socket set uh <laughs> and he said no it's 11 millimeter i said okay cool i said get it you know it's probably one of a kind you know if if nine millimeters good 10 millimeter must be pretty great and then 11 millimeter man Wow. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, with my 320, uh, I had a just a regular 320, and I've been kind of upgrading it. I went in ahead. This is before Wilson Combat and some of the others came out with their own grip modules. Uh, but I upgraded it with just the plain SIG, uh, the SIG uh, X series uh, handle on it, which it was a little bit different handle. I like uh, a little bit. seems like the grip angle was a little bit different as well, but it's probably just because uh, the roundness of the handle kind of went more to like a little bit squarish, almost like a Glock, but a little 
little bit more round. Uh, and then, of course, it came with the flag, uh, the flared magwell, and I actually just put in a, a new flat trigger in it, and I hadn't taken it to the range yet, so that's something I'm very willing to do. I ended up getting three more 21-round magazines for it, uh, so that way I can start putting them in my duty belt as well, because I carry the, the SIG 320 Compact just like you uh, for everyday carry use at work. Uh, that's what our department uses, and oh. I like going with that a little bit better just because uh, it is you know magazine interchangeability. Uh, but still, with the Glock, I've just been shooting it for so long. I can pick up any Glock and I can shoot really nice grouping uh, at 25 yards, 15 uh, and 10. And then for some reason, just because of my big hands, uh, the SIG M&Ps feel the best, but I, st- I guess I still haven't figured out the, the triggers in mine. Uh, it's not the best I shoot, but it, it's for some reason, it just feels the best in my hand. Yeah, I, I'm pretty impressed with the 320. I haven't shot it a whole lot yet. And next time I go to the range, I want to bring uh, both the 320 and my Glock 19 and kind of shoot them side by side and, you know, really dial in which one. I shoot better. Uh, I know I shot. I know I shoot the Glock 19 very well, um, but I want to work a little harder with that 320 and see where I can get with it. Yeah, and uh, so far, just doing the dry fire practice, I end up getting just a, a SIG aftermarket flat trigger uh, from mine, and uh, was thinking about going the Apex, but I decided to go the SIG route. Uh, just because it was a little bit wider, it seemed, in pictures. Uh, and I really like that as well. It was only, I think, like $30. Ended up getting it within three days after I ordered it. Uh, so really like that. Uh, and that's my review that I personally have had. But also, just some new stuff that's come out. Uh, Plano has come out with an all-weather two-rifle case, uh, adding uh, rust stricter technology. Uh, and what that rust stricter is, uh, it is perfected uh, first in Plano's fishing lines. Uh, and basically what it is, it helps keep moisture out of the case. Case. Um, so it's something that Plano's had in their fishing boxes, but now I guess they moved it over to their rifle cases. Uh, it's a pretty sharp looking box, um, and it's not going to break the bank. Uh, you're looking anywhere between MSRP of $100 to $125. Uh, so once it actually starts hitting stores, you're probably going to get that closer for around $80 to $100 uh, from like Bass Pro, Cabela's, Academy, whatever normally sells those kind of Plano uh, type cases. Uh, but it looks really nice. Uh, looks a lot like a Pelican on the inside uh, with your modern modularity of your foam. Uh, that's something that's pretty cool. Something else uh, that's come out that I think is pretty interesting uh, is uh, Wonder Hoodie SWX, which is the world's first stab-proof hoodie jacket. Uh, now, this is obviously Kevlar infused into the jacket, so I don't know how you know uh, comfortable I say it would be, uh, but it can withstand uh, both a kitchen knife and a folding knife with a four-inch blade. Uh, and there's actually pictures of it on ballistic.com where it has bent kitchen knives, and uh, you can see them uh, stabbing it with like a regular folding knife. There's a video and uh, that's something that's pretty interesting because obviously uh, you want to be protected and if you go to say for example like New York, uh, Chicago, California, whatever it may be, uh, where there is some gun control laws obviously the criminals are still going to have guns but you're more likely to, uh, you know, to have like say like a homeless person come up to you. Homeless person is not going to keep a gun on them every time. Uh, you know most homeless people that I've seen uh, you know they carry knives on them. Almost all of them yeah. have knives. Uh, and that's something that can add a little bit more protection. Now, I'm sure you're probably going to have a nice little bruise uh, from where the pressure of the, you know, the knife is going to be. Uh, but it's not going to cut through the jacket, which is going to save you from having that trip to the hospital, in, in you know, my mind. And it gives you a little bit more time to fight off an attacker if that happens. Uh, there is no MSRP on this, but I imagine it's probably, oh, I take that back. I'm sorry. Uh, the Stab Proof hoodie jacket uh, is $5.95. Uh, now, that's pretty damn expensive, uh, but it is definitely something in the cool section that I wanted to have in the gun 
Gun Gear review section. Uh, and this next one is actually not a, specific, a particular um, product, uh, but it's something that was done by Recoil.com, which I'm a, I love their magazines. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Recoil. Uh, and this was published on the second. And this is, especially for those people that get in, as everybody I hear them call them, their Trump chicks. Uh, just some upgrades that you can do for your AR-15 and your Glock uh, that you may have. Uh, now, Cliff, uh, I'm assuming you have an AR-15 rifle? I do. Uh, and you said you had a Glock. What are some of your favorite upgrades that you've done to those? I haven't done anything to the AR. It's a bone stock uh, Smith & Wesson. Uh, done nothing to it but run ammo through it. Um, the Glock, my Glock 19 has uh, an aftermarket barrel, threaded barrel, and it's had a little trigger work done on it. And what type of barrel do you have? Uh, you know, I would have been able to answer you if you didn't answer, ask me that. Um, I think it's an Alpha Wolf, if I remember. Okay, all right. And uh, what kind of trigger work have you done to it? It's been lightened up a little bit. Okay. Well, obviously, those are some of the things that they talk about in regards to Glock, what you can do. In, in reference to upgrading your AR-15, uh, you can obviously, Magpul has a bunch of different uh, aftermarket uh, pro uh, parts that you could put on there, upgrade your trigger guard, your uh, grip, and your stock. They're all relatively inexpensive. You can mm -hmm. get all those parts for less than $70, $75. And then also... Uh, upgrading your trigger. Uh, there are numerous AR-15 trigger uh, makers out there. Uh, some are simple drop-ins. Uh, some are, uh, you know, exposed uh, with the springs that you'd have to uh, work in there, just like if you're building a lower parts kit in regards to your AR-15. And then, of course, uh, another uh, aftermarket option that you could put to your AR-15 is, of course, uh, the handguard. Uh, you can upgrade to uh, M-Lock, uh, Key Mod, Quad Rail, whatever your fancy is. Uh, and then a lot of the, you know, mentioned uh, Brownells is getting from a lot of this stuff. Uh, Brownells is a great seller. I personally love their company and the stuff that they do for the Second Amendment community. So I will always recommend people if they're going to buy something, go to Brownells. It's kind of like the Walmart of gun parts. Yep. And then, of course, in regards to your pistol, uh, you can add uh, a magwell to it. If you have a Glock, uh, you can add a threaded barrel. Uh, Silencer Co. Uh, offers a lot of threaded barrels that you can put comps or, or suppressors on there, uh, which is not, they're not too terribly expensive you can get them for around uh between, you know under two hundred dollars especially i think if they're on sale you can get them for around 150 160 somewhere around there and then of course magpul again magpul has just been killing it with the aftermarket part uh industry lately uh in the past few years especially for glock uh they have the magwell that you could put on their glock they offer uh extra magazines for cheaper than glock and then of course a little more reliable than the korean mags that they offer out there for like ten dollars uh you can get yourself a glock uh, uh magazine from Magpul for around $15. Uh, so those are some things that you can get if you already have that stuff and you haven't already blown your Trump check. Uh, that's something you can do in regards to upgrading the guns you have if you haven't already bought new guns. Uh, I know personally, me, what I've done is I've purchased all the, my dream kind of parts that I want to do for an AR-15, including optics. And uh, I'm going to be building myself a new AR-15, hopefully going to uh, quantified performances, new matches coming up in Georgia uh, this year if it's not canceled by the coronavirus. Uh, so is there anything uh, that you want to talk about, especially you said coming out with a new outside the waistband holsters uh, for Cold War concealment? Is there anything that you want to talk about specifically, new features, uh, something that maybe sets you a little bit different from other companies? Well, at this point, I'm going to kind of keep that under wraps a little bit because I'm not quite there yet, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, um, there's there going to be a couple different styles uh, depending on how you want to wear it. Um, and we're going to be dropping those pretty soon. So we can we can talk about those a little a little bit down the road, not too far, because I'm still tweaking the mold tooling to get it just where I want it and to get it to get the uh, the fit the way I want it. Absolutely. Whenever you get that done, uh, let me know and I'd love to have you back on the show. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll make sure you get one in your hands too. 
so you can see what I'm talking about. Absolutely. All right. With that, let's go ahead and start going on into our next segment, which is going to be our culture segment. Why don't you take what you want from me? Take what you need from me. Take what you want to go. Why don't you take what you want from me? Take what you need from me. Take what you want to go. I never needed anything from you. And all I ever asked was for the truth. You showed your tongue and it was forked in two. And with the culture segment, we normally like to talk about either a TV show, movie, game, or book uh, that is you know out there in the mainstream that people can talk about. And something that I'm going to talk about today is actually an article uh, from Guns.com. And this is 12 books for gun nerds during the quarantine. Now, something about me is I'm a humongous gun nerd. You said you're a, a huge history buff. That's actually what I got my undergraduate degree in was to teach history. Uh, so I love history. Uh, and some of these books are more on the history side. Uh, some are a little bit different uh, and kind of on the uh, newer side. Uh, but the 12 books they talk about, uh, the first one is the bolt-action military rifles of the world, uh, which is amazing because obviously that's when you start getting into the modern firearms uh, and, of course, military rifles. Uh, that's where kind of everything, innovation starts and where things are truly uh, t- you know, tried and tested, like the infield, uh, the um, uh, Mo- uh, Moisen Nagants, things like that. Uh, the next one also is the Complete Guide to United States Military Combat Shotguns. Uh, that's a uh, books uh, that you can look at. Civil War Collectors Encyclopedia. Uh, that might be a little bit boring for some people, but you know, history guys like you and me, Cliff, probably would enjoy that. Uh, U.S. Infantry Weapons of World War II is another book. This is by Bruce N. Canfields, and uh, that is interesting because there was a lot of weird, unique guns that came out in World War II, uh, and that would be something that you can see a lot of development in, where you could see you know guns. Back used during World War II, you could start to see some of the design features that were included maybe into later guns getting into the 70s and 80s uh, because, of course, uh, you know, a lot of heavily browning guns in there. And of course, the next one is just United States submachine guns. Uh, and this is kind of where, especially if you're into newer guns, uh, like, you know, quote-unquote assault rifles, but modern sporting rifles, uh, you can start to see a lot of guns in there, uh, you know, just on the, the cover. Uh, and this is by Frank Lanamico. Uh, you have a... Uh, uh, Looks like a uh, AR type rifle that uses Sten mags, uh, some uh, Thompson submachine guns, uh, some uh, Uzi auto, you know semi-automatic rifles and things like that. Uh, the next one is American breech-loading mobile artillery from 1875 to 1953. Now this is interesting just because um, you're in the military, but you said you're in the Air Force. Uh, did yep. you deal a lot with like any of the Army Marines? Not a whole lot. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the desert at different uh, air bases. Uh, you know, I was in the engineers, so we built all the tent cities and ran the heavy equipment and stuff like that. Well, just something that when I was in the military, and I was uh, actually in the combat engineers myself, um, is anytime you have talked to artillery guys, uh, they just geek out on artillery stuff. So that's probably a good book uh, if you are into artillery type uh, firepower. Uh, next one is uh, Machine Guns 14th Century to Present. Now, this would be interesting uh, just because of the fact that you have a lot of the gun control advocates say that when the Second Amendment was written, uh, there were no such thing as machine
machine guns, but yeah. the title of this book itself says 14th century to present. goes to show that machine gun technology has been around for centuries before the founding even of America, before even uh, Christopher Columbus hopped on the boat and came to America. Uh, so that is something that would be good that you can show uh, for gun control advocate, uh, you know, advocates if you get an argument with them to say, well, you say that, but actually this machine gun mm-hmm. was in common use during the Civil War. So, right. Or I'm sorry, during the American Revolution. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. Next one is uh, FM Browning Pistols. Uh, that's the title of the book. This is by Anthony Vander Linden. And I love, uh, first off, like anything FN and Browning, uh, old school, uh, just because you have a lot of old John Browning design pistols. And there are some things that were released on the FN side uh, in Europe and some things that weren't released in America. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. And then, of course, is the standard catalog of Smith & Wesson. Uh, Smith & Wesson being around for, for many years. There's a whole plethora of knowledge of different uh, firearms in there. Uh, you got The Evolution of Military Automatic Pistols by Bruce Gordon. Uh, now, this is a pretty interesting book. It's only 150 pages, uh, but there's a lot of pictures in there, especially having to do with the breakdowns of the guns and how they work. Uh, if you're more towards a gunsmith kind of side, this would be a very interesting book for you. And then the next one is going to be The Moisin Agat Rifle uh, by Terrence W. LePin. Uh, now, this is only a North Cape Publications, uh, so they don't have it in circulation anymore, but they do have some on Amazon. And this is interesting just because of the fact, uh, you know, the Moisin Agat, people just think of it as a Russian rifle, but it was made uh, by a lot of Eastern European countries. Uh, it was the standard rifle for them. So there's a lot of different marks on theirs. And actually, uh, I was, you know, I, a lot of the firearms I own are collectibles, uh, historical rifles and, and handguns. Uh, and I have eight Moisin Agat rifles of different makes and manufacturers and models and things like that. Uh, and just like I said, just because of the collectability of it. Uh, and this breaks down all the stamps and marks and all your Moisin Agat rifles and what it says uh, and where it was imported uh, and all that kind of stuff. So that's pretty interesting. Do you uh, have a lot of collectible rifles there, Cliff, or anything collectible? No, not really anything collectible. I got my first uh, rifle, which is which is an old 1022 that, uh, you know, sentimental value, but uh, I wouldn't call it a collector's piece. Uh, well, some of the old 1022s probably might be collectible either, you know, to some people or definitely in the future, uh, just because that is a lot of people's first uh, guns. That was my first rifle. I had a shotgun before then growing up, but that was my first rifle. And I still got it myself, just like you said. Rear sights broke rear sights broke off of it, and I actually still have the, the sight that I was going to you know tap and die and fix it, uh, but I just haven't done it. It's still sitting <laughs> sitting duct taped to my 1022 uh, <laughs> inside my gun safe. Uh, just It's a project that hasn't been done yet. Uh, but that was uh, it for the, uh, the 12 books recommended by guns.com. Uh, now, is there anything that you know of that you saw? There's actually a movie on Netflix with uh, Chris Hemsworth that I wanted to talk about. It's probably going to be for next uh, next uh, po- uh, episode's podcast uh, in regards to uh, guns in movies called Extraction. Uh, have you seen or read or uh, anything that's pretty cool gun-wise? Uh, not a whole lot. I've been kind of tuned out a little bit lately. Had a lot going on here with the, with the business and other stuff, so I've just been tuned out. <laughs> Well, that's awesome, Cliff. That's going to be the end of the podcast. I greatly appreciate you coming on, talking about your business. And again, I greatly appreciate you being a sponsor. Well, thanks, man. I sure appreciate you having us on here. Absolutely. And uh, if you got anything, just reach out to me. And if you haven't, go check out Cold War Concealment uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and on his website, uh, website coldwarconcealment.com. I appreciate you coming on, Cliff. All right. Thank you again, man. You have a good one. You too.
was our interview with Cliff from Cold War Concealment. I really appreciate Cliff becoming a sponsor, and he's got a special treat for all of our listeners. If you were listening to this podcast, he's got a special discount code for you. So if you go over to coldwarconcealment.com and you type in the discount code, the number 2A Lifestyle 10, all caps, you will get 10% off your order. So that is amazing. If you are listening to this podcast and you're in the market for a holster, go ahead and check out Cold War Concealment. Like I said, it's great Kydex. He sent us several for uh, reviews. He sent us some more uh, once he has his out the waistband holsters come in. Uh, they are great fucking holsters from what we reviewed on the inside the waistband holsters. And with that, uh, you get 10% off. But go ahead and check out Cold War Concealment and give him some love. Let him know that you listened to us on the podcast, found out about him on the podcast. Uh, and that helps us get more sponsors and allows Cliff to continue to sponsor the, the podcast and the social media as well. Uh, go ahead, wherever you're speaking of social media, go ahead and check us out on social media. On Facebook, we are on the number 2A Lifestyle 2A Lifestyle, and on Instagram and TikTok, we are two spelled out, T-W-O-A Lifestyle. We also have a Patreon account if you want to go ahead and support us. Uh, just fucking a little is $1 a month. We can uh, really appreciate the support. Any money that's taken in through our sponsors and through our Patreon, we're putting directly back into this podcast to make it better for you. We should have our video equipment hopefully set up uh, by the next podcast. Also, we have uh, some fucking good shit coming out. Hopefully, some more giveaways. Also, so it helps us on travel expenses whenever we go to things, uh, like when we went to Ash Hess's Quantified Performance. And also, uh, if we ever f- fucking have an NRAM, uh, we'll be going to NRAM. And my goal is to be going to the SHOT Show uh, coming in January, so that will be some good shit. So anything that you give us, I greatly appreciate. And wherever you're listening to this, go ahead and hit subscribe and leave us a review is the best way for people to find us when they're looking for gun-related content on podcast streams. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and close out the show, and I greatly appreciate you listening, and go ahead and enjoy that 2A lifestyle. Moments, cause I, I, I just like this, and this the little things.